You're listening to the Redemption Hill Church podcast from Tallahassee, Florida. For more information, visit our website at rh-church.com. Hey, Pastor Chad here. I'm so glad you've taken the time to listen. We're currently studying verse by verse through the book of Acts. Among other things, we'll see the mission, the persecution, and the expansion of the church. Now, time for this week's message. So we are going to continue in the book of Acts this morning. I wanted to um, make just one other kind of an, an, I don't know if it's announcements the right thing. Um, we, we have, on the, the last Wednesday evening of, of the month, starting in this past January, we started a series called Veracity. And what that is is, is we try and take a, an issue and we look at it from a biblical perspective. And, and the hope of, of this is not just to create political controversy or whatever, but really the idea is for us to try and establish a biblical worldview, meaning that as we make um, choices in life, we do so through the lens of the Bible. Okay, now that a biblical worldview will um, shape the way we parent. A biblical worldview will shape our marriages. A biblical worldview will shape the way we educate our children. A biblical worldview will um, determine a lot of our priorities in life. A biblical worldview will ultimately shape um, our views um, politically. And and part of why we started this this past January was the understanding of we're in uh, an election year 2016 and, and so for us as a, as a state though this this coming Tuesday is our our primary but this year is a, a national election and I think those times we should pray for our leaders all the time but typically when we get to these cycles it the spotlight becomes more prevalent and the debates and the conversations become more passionate. And um, so one of the things that I, I've, I feel very passionate about is, is this, that, that the church was never meant to be absent the government or absent politics. I, 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 don't, I don't know that you could, I know that people will say there's this thing called separation of church and state. Um, and, and I'm by no way, shape, or form um, a highly educated man or a scholar, but I can't see that scripturally. And when we look at our founding fathers and the way they intended, it was never meant for the church to be completely absent the government, okay? I think when we look at where we're at today, we can see the, the results of the church wanting to be absent the government um, and, and involvement in the government. So I believe this. I believe it's, um, it's our privilege and it's our right as American citizens to be involved in politics in, in our government, right? And that, that goes for those who believe and those who don't believe. And, and so what, we want us to, what I want you guys to do is this. First, if you're old enough to vote, I want you to be able to go vote. I want you to vote. Um, I don't think we should ever take this um, right lightly. If you think about this, we live in the greatest country in the world, and it offers us this pretty amazing opportunity to actually have a voice in what's taking place. And we'll continue to have that voice as long as we use it. And so I want to encourage you to go and do that. I want to encourage you to, as you go and vote, to take that serious, that you should devote some time um, of, of preparation, figuring out who aligns best with what you believe the Bible teaches and and, and all. I believe that, that we should be going to those situations with much prayer. Um, on the back table there, the little orange table there, we've, I've tried to come up with and have found some voter guides to help equip you. Now listen, they're all bipartisan. There's, there's stuff for the Republicans and the Democrats. And they're two-sided, most of them are, so make sure you look at both sides to see um, which, which you think describes it best or whatever. Some are longer than others. But here's, here's, what, I, here's what I'm going to ask 
of you. And I, this is my, my call to us. And it's a small group today. I'm going to issue the call on Facebook later today and, and email to our church. Um, I'm, I'm going I'm to ask for you to consider this. Um, I'm going to ask for you to consider fasting and praying Monday and Tuesday. I think it's important. It's, it's, it's um, our primary. Now, some of you guys, if I ask the question, how many of you guys have already voted? I, my guess is probably with it being spring break, most have already probably done their early vote. And that's good. But, but here, I, I, think, I think we should, this is, on that back table, there's a, a, a little, and I didn't produce it, I didn't make it. Um, but there's a 2016 election prayer guide. And in there, it, it highlights, uh, I think it's like seven different things to consider praying for. The, uh, the nation and the issues it faces, the election process, candidates and leaders, the church, uh, media, spiritual warfare, revival. Um, those are just seven ideas, and there's scripture to back all that stuff up. But this is what I, I'm going to ask for you to at least consider, that you would do kind of what the scripture calls a, a partial fast, all right? Um, that we would consider fasting maybe from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., both those days, if you do it Monday and Tuesday, that will come out to a 24-hour fast. What, um, and, and in that time, it's not just that you're abstaining from food and you're just doing that to prove a point. But what we do is, is as we abstain from, some, from meals or whatever, that you use that time to sit and to pray. Those seven things, maybe as a guide, maybe, maybe over that, those two days, over that two, those two fasting periods, Maybe you just commit to spending 15 to 20 minutes um, on, on each of those seven points. And you just pray specifically. Maybe it's one time, the first time you, get the, you sit down, you're going to do, number one, you're going to pray for the nation and the issues it faces. You're going to spend 15 or 20 minutes just on that. Um, this is going to be a reoccurring theme. I'm going I'm to try and call our church to, to do this more often. In fact, I think what we're going to start doing next month is I'm going to ask for you to consider that second Tuesday of each month to be a day of fast and prayer. Um, I think it's important. I think, it's, it's, I, think it's in, I think every time we probably come to election, people will say this is the, the most important election in, in our generation, and it probably is. But I think, and I hope and I pray that we, that we pray through these things and take these, these things serious. And so um, I know it's spring break, and... No one wants to fast on spring break, but I would ask for you to at least consider that Monday and Tuesday of, of doing that. And maybe you don't want to give up meals. Maybe you want to give up something. Um, you, you can go from there, right? But I just would, would encourage you to consider, consider that. Here on the bottom of, of this screen here, I have Hosea 6, 1 through 3. And let me, let me read this because I think it's, it kind of expresses at least maybe a little bit of my heart. And Hosea, one of the prophets, says this, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us, and the third day he will raise us up, and we may live before him. Let us know, let us press to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the, showers, as the showers, as the spring rains that waters the earth. And so at the end of the day, we want God's presence and God's will to be done. So I'm going to pray for this, pray for um, our, our morning study, and get into it. Lord, I thank you so much for this day. God, I thank you for all of our blessings. Lord, we, we do live in an amazing country. We have such rich heritage God, it's, it's amazing that we can go back and do our founding father's documents. And we can see you. We can see you expressed in it. We can, we can see them writing about you. We can see these different declarations made about you. And God, a lot of that is foreign to us today. Lord, I pray that you just be with our country in this process. God, this is a much deeper issue than whether we're Republicans or Democrats or Independents. 
But hopefully, first and foremost here, we're followers of Jesus Christ. And God, I, I believe if, if that's the case, then we should be striving to live according to your principles, according to your heartbeat. God, you are the creation. Are you the creator? We're the creation. There may be things that we may not necessarily like, but at the end of the day, it makes no difference because you're the Lord. You're the king of kings. You're the great I am. You created us so you have the right to make the rules. And so, Lord, I pray that you be with us as, as Christians. Help us to, to be involved in this. Help us to stand up for what we ought to stand up for. Help us to be a voice when a voice needs to be spoken. Lord, I pray that you be with us this morning in, in this next few moments as we look into your word, as we continue this journey through the book of Acts. God, I, I think today is another one of those pretty neat passages that can speak to us from a from several different angles. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that right now that you're working in us, that you're right now beginning to, to break down some walls, that you're, that you're beginning to open our eyes, open our hearts, that you make us receptive to your word. God, I pray that you allow it to penetrate through us. God, I pray that you change us. God, I pray that you help us to be serious about this mission that you've placed us on. God, you never intended for us as believers to live this laissez-faire lifestyle. But you've called us. You've called us to be in the trenches. You've called us to action. You've made us plan A, B, C, D, and every other plan. So, God, I pray this morning that you help us to see where we fit in. Help us to not sit back, but engage. Lord, use us. Change us. God, I pray that you help me to be faithful to your word. Jesus, I pray that you would give me your heart. Give me your passion. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Acts chapter 10. So last week when we were, we were going through this, just because today really picks up, as we were reading and considering like last week's deal, like this is about to occur. And last week we talked about this, this guy by the name of Cornelius. And Cornelius is this centurion. And he's in this, located in this, this little town called Caesarea. And he's not um, Jewish. He's a Gentile. And if you recall, last week we, we spent some time trying to describe this great division between the Jews and the Gentiles. And, and this division was really this wall of, of hatred. I mean, quite honestly, we, we, if you remember last week, I, I said, you know, there was this, there was such... Um, animosity from the Jews towards the Gentiles that, that, if, that if they were walking and their robe just happened to brush against a Gentile, they would have to go home, take off their robe, they'd have to burn that robe, and then be ceremonially cleansed before they could return into the temple. And so what would happen during those days is they would, their robes would typically be real tight around them so it wouldn't get caught in the wind and there would be no opportunity for it to brush against a Gentile. In fact, we, I mentioned this, this thing called the Mishnah. The Mishnah was, was this collection of the laws of the Jews and it would include the Old Testament and the laws in the Old Testament, the Mosaic laws, but it was broader and larger than just the Old Testament laws. It would be these other laws that were added and things that were added to this. Well, according to the Mishnah, the, the, the purpose of a Gentile, and again, for us to understand, a Gentile is basically everyone who's not Jewish. The purpose of a Gentile was to be the fuel for the flames of hell. That's the way the Jews viewed the Gentiles. So there's, there's no 
There's no hanging out. There's no connection. There's no interaction with these. It's, it's just complete separation. Cornelius is a Gentile, and, and he's Roman, and, and, and the Romans, they worshiped hundreds and hundreds of gods. And in his journey along the way, like, like many, especially in the Roman army, they, they would no doubt have spent some time in, in, in Jerusalem. And, and, and probably in the midst of that, they, they go from this belief, this, this system of all these gods, and, and they see how empty it is, and then they see this monotheistic, like singular God that the Jews are worshiping. And so it would begin to intrigue a lot of these these people, well, as we read the description of Cornelius, it mentioned him as a God-fearer, a devout man. And so he, he had turned from his, his Roman ways, and he's not worshiping all these gods. He's trying to worship the one true God. It's just he doesn't exactly know what it is. But he's doing the best that he can. And, and, and last week, honestly, we, we spent some time where I just try to challenge the men that we're here. As we looked at Cornelius, and although he doesn't have all the answers, the one thing that he's trying to do is to follow God to the best of his ability. I mean, in there, it's not even just him, but he's leading his family. He's leading his family towards this guy that he doesn't fully understand, but he's trying. And he's he's so he's trying to seek after this God. And and so in the midst of this, he's praying and those verses there in, in the first eight verses of Acts chapter 10 talks about those prayers being received in heaven like a, a sweet fragrance. And so the Lord responds back and he sends this angel to Cornelius in a vision. And he sends, tells Cornelius to send some guys over to Joppa and get this guy named Simon Peter. And here's what's kind of cool about this. Do you guys remember when we were earlier in the book of Acts, um, Acts chapter 8? Acts chapter 7, we talked about one of those deacons that was named, a guy named Stephen. Remember that? Stephen, one of the first deacons, he has this argument, and then he goes and ultimately stands before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin ultimately has Stephen stoned, and he, he, he dies, right? Well, the next chapter, when we get to Acts chapter 8, we, see, we learn about this other deacon, a guy by the name of Philip. Right? Here's what's interesting about this. More than likely, Philip's in Caesarea at this time. And so you, you, at first you're kind of like, well, why didn't God just send Philip? He's right there. But he's got a plan for Peter, a special plan. And so he tells Cornelius to, to, to get some guys, go over to Joppa, find this guy named Peter who's hanging out with another guy named Simon who's a tanner on the outside of the city. And so while that's going on, while those guys get packed up, and they're preparing, they're leaving, they're going to, to Joppa, which is about 30 miles away, two, two-and-a-half-day journey. We pick up today in verses 9, and I'm going to read from 9, Acts 10, verse 9 through 33, and then we're going to just try and talk a little bit about it, okay? So Acts 10, verse 9 says this, The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted to eat something, or wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 14, but Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Verse 17, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made an inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering this vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them 
without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. For what is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well-spoken by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come into his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be their guests. We're going to take a little time out here and read the, the rest later. So, so we have this, this passage. So Peter goes up. Remember, he's at Simon the Tanner's house on the outside of the, of the, of the city of, of Joppa. And then during those days, the, the, the houses were very small. And there, there wasn't a lot of, of space to just kind of chill. And so typically what they would do, they'd go to the rooftops. That was kind of like their front porches. They would go up to the rooftops. And, and so Simon goes up to the rooftop, or Peter goes up to the rooftop, and, and he's you know, going up there to pray. And, I, you know, I, I, in this I see some humor. Because as he's about to pray, he, he's getting hungry. And he can smell the food they're preparing. And then I love how the Bible says, and so Peter goes into a trance. You know, so I can, I can just picture Peter up there. He's trying to pray. He's trying to go through his, his regular routine, the things that he normally does. I mean, he's, he's trying to really seek God. But in the midst of that, his stomach starts growling. He can smell the food being prepared. And he starts daydreaming. And he has this, this dream, this, this vision that sounds weird to us. Like he sees this sheet come down and mentions there the four corners come down to the earth. And on this sheet are all these animals, all sorts of animals. And then he hears a voice, God's voice. And God tells him to get up and go eat them. And Peter responds with no. I mean, in fact, if I were, were you, I would encourage you um, there in um, verse 14, it says there, and Peter, but Peter said to him, by no means, Lord. I would underline that in your Bible. Remember last week when we talked about Cornelius? Cornelius is this guy. He doesn't fully understand it. I mean, he, he believes in a singular God, and he's trying to take these steps towards it. And when God sends him a vision, when he, when he has this angel appear in this dream of his, he gives him instructions, and immediately Cornelius goes and he does. He does exactly what the Lord is, is telling him to do. Without question, without, without hesitation, he goes and he does. And now we have this guy, Peter, the lead disciple, I mean, the guy who spent three and a half years with Jesus, like every day, had lived with him, had, 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 had traveled with him, had heard all these sermons, had seen the teachings, had seen all the miracles. And the Lord says to him to do something, and his response is, no, no, Lord. Um, you know, vision is a pretty powerful thing. Proverbs 29, 18 says, For where there is no vision, people perish. But happy is he who keeps the law. This last week, um, I was helping McKenzie study for, some, for a, a history test that she was taking. It just so happened it was some information dealing with a, the Great Depression. I remember as a kid, as a little kid, I, you know, my grandparents lived through the Great Depression. They were young, but, but, but they lived during the Great Depression. I remember them telling me stories of, the, the, of what it was like and, and how hard it was. Um, I, I read a story this week about a guy by the name of Saul DeVries. Saul DeVries um, would ultimately make billions of dollars during the Great Depression. Now, now Saul was... He was a, a child of immigrants. He grew up in poverty, didn't have nothing. When the Great Depression hits, you know, it was a time when, when everyone was affected by it. It was a time when people didn't have the money to go out and buy new appliances. They didn't have time to go and, and remodel things. And, and, and this 
young Saul, who was a young man then, had this vision. He, he wanted to find something that could, that could, even though people couldn't do all these renovations and remodels and buy all these new appliances and these things, he wanted to, to develop something that could, could still make everything look sparkling clean and new. And so he invented the first like all-purpose cleaner called Spick and Span. You ever heard of that? I, I remember as a kid, like, my mom would tell me to go to my room and make sure it looked spick and span. It never did. <laughs> but Saul DeVries develops this product, and it becomes extremely famous during this Depression years and, and, and onward. And so this guy ultimately makes billions of dollars all from this vision that he had of doing something, doing something good and doing something great. And at the end of the day, this, this thing that he wanted to do to, 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 to clean things allowed him to clean up financially. Vision's important. And here we have Peter with this vision. And he sees this sheet and he sees these animals and and all of a sudden God's saying go and eat all these things I mean Peter's a diehard Jew and he believed in this Levitical law and you go back into Leviticus chapter 11 and it describes things that they were allowed to eat and couldn't but but generally speaking if we were to simplify it basically what happened is the Jews were only allowed to eat these animals that um, ate of the cud it had cloven hooves. That was it. And now he gets this vision and it's saying, eat it all. And Peter says, no. No, Lord. And as I was reading that this last week, I, I began to think, man, is it possible for us to say, no, Lord? I mean, think through that. Think through that statement, no, Lord, okay? Now, we can say no to a lot of things, right? Like, Courtney can say, hey, Chad, can you do this? And I can say, no, sweetheart. <laughs> I could say that. You guys saw that picture on Facebook? No. I, I could say that. Or, or, or Mackenzie can say, hey, Dad, can you? And I can say, no. You guys can call me and say, hey, can you? No. Nobody, no dude no homie or whatever. We can say no to a lot of things, right? But does the, can, can we legitimately use the phrase, no Lord? Because if we think of Lord, what does Lord mean? If, if, if we consider the idea of, of Jesus being the Lord of our lives, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, if we consider him, that means he is ultimately in charge. And so if he gives us directions, then what right do we have to say no? And Peter, of all people, should have known better. And one of the things we continually see with Peter all throughout his ministry is like every time Jesus does something with Peter, he has to do it three times, doesn't he? And so Peter, I mean, God has this, tells him, listen, go eat. And Peter says, no. And God says, listen, what I've called clean, is clean. Go. And it took three times. And then ultimately, Peter is awoken. He doesn't understand what's going on. He doesn't understand what this dream really means. And really, as we look at this, as we consider this, is much broader than just a dietary law being changed. I mean, it's much bigger than bacon becoming biblical. It's larger than that. R. Kent Hughes makes the statement in his commentary when he talked about this. He says, when it mentions those four corners of the sheet, it's talking about those four corners of the compass. North, south, east, and west. And all those different animals represent people. This great wall of division between the Jews and the Gentiles is beginning to crumble. And, and Peter wakes up and, and he's told that there's these guys outside looking for you. Go down and get them. And so Peter wakes up 
And there's these three guys that Cornelius had sent that are standing at the gate looking for him. And then he lets them in. Verse 23 says, so he invited them in to be his guests. Underline that. Underline that in the Bible. Because that, that although it looks like it's just an, a, an act of hospitality, it looks like, like what, what most common people would do. But think of how seismic that is, how huge that is. That division, remember we talked about this idea that if they even touched each other, according to their laws, according to their traditions, that, that Peter would have to disrobe himself and to burn those clothes and go take the ceremonial bath. And now he's inviting them in to be his guest, to sit and to talk and to eat with and to share with. That's huge. Now verse, the second part of verse 23 says, the next day he rose and went with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. Verse 24, on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with you or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me. So that next morning, after spending that evening with those three individuals that Cornelius sent, Peter got together. Scripture later tells us six other individuals, and they would travel back to Caesarea. And they would go to Cornelius' home. I, I wonder, Cornelius knows this division between the Jews and the Gentiles. He's fully aware of it. He, he received this vision and he was faithful in what he was told to do. But I wonder if there was those moments where he kind of wondered, I wonder if he'll come. I wonder if Peter will actually come. But while those guys are gone trying to get Peter, Cornelius is going around and he's getting all of his family and his closest friends. And, and they gather together in his home. So when Peter ultimately shows up and knocks on the door, there's a crowd that's already there. And you see that first reaction of Cornelius. He falls to the feet of Peter and he begins to kiss his feet and worship Peter. Now notice what, what Peter says. Verse 26 he tells them to stand up. I too am a man. Maybe in the, the column of your Bibles there, you might write 1 Peter 5, 1 through 6. In that passage, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 6, Peter is, is writing a description of what it should look like to be a spiritual leader. And part of that is this idea of deflecting all this fame and fortune and glory you know, we, we live in a culture today that worships people, don't we? You know, even today there are people who still worship Peter. If you were to go to St. Peter's uh, Basilica, there's this statue that Michelangelo sculpted of Peter. And, and today there will be long lines every single day where people will go and they will kiss the feet of Peter. And if you were to go and follow in that line and to kiss the feet of Peter, you would see that the big toe on the right foot of Peter is no longer there because of the thousands upon thousands upon thousands who have traveled and kissed the feet of a sculpture. I mean, we still worship people. I mean, there, there are some, I guess, probably in, in a church culture, maybe 
famous authors or famous pastors. They're athletes that we worship. Like right now in this season, we have political people that we worship. And I love how Peter stops this and he says, listen, I'm just a guy like you. Stop worshiping me. It reminds me of James 5.17, where James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes that Elijah had a nature just like us. Elijah, like the prophet in the Old Testament. I mean, the prophet that, that called down rain from heaven. I mean, the, the, that he is a guy just like us. There's nothing different. And sometimes if you're guilty like me, we read the Bible and we, we put these people on such large pedestals that we, we worship them almost like they're gods. I mean, we, we go back to the stories of David and Goliath and all these amazing things that David did, and we exalt David to almost be like a god. Like, there's no way that I could be like that. There's no way. Like, he was so much greater than I am. Like, Peter. Peter walked on water. He brought people back from the dead. I mean, he preached the day of Pentecost, and thousands upon thousands were saved. And to me, it's, it's such a comfort to read that and see where Peter says, listen, there's no difference. We're all the same. Even to the magnitude here where, where he's, Peter's still trying to figure this out. And I'm sure as he's walking from Joppa to Caesarea and he's, he's recounting this vision that he had. And he's trying to figure out what does this sheet mean? What do all these animals mean? What am I supposed to do with all this? And God begins to put these puzzle pieces together. And he realizes there's no distinction between the Jew and the Gentile. Paul would later, the Apostle Paul, would later in the book of Romans 3.23 remind us that all have sinned. You underline, you circle, highlight that word all. Because it doesn't say the Jews have sinned. It doesn't say the Gentiles have sinned. It doesn't say the white have sinned. It doesn't say the black have sinned. It doesn't say the rich have sinned. It doesn't say the poor have sinned. It doesn't say the, the tall have sinned. It doesn't say the short have sinned. It doesn't say anything other than all. And Paul very clearly says, listen, there's a level playing field now. And Peter, as he's walking, Peter, the disciple to the Jews, as he's walking on that journey to Caesarea, begins to understand things have changed. And those are souls just like his. And those Gentiles were not meant to be the fuel for the flames of hell. That the same grace that was offered to Peter is offered to the Gentiles. And so he goes and he lifts Cornelius up. And before he even asks what they need, he shares what's happened to him in his life. And he shares how he's had this vision and he shared how God's called him to come and he shares with him about how there's no longer a clean and an unclean but they're one next week as we celebrate Palm Sunday oftentimes we will typically go to that passage of scripture that describes the triumphal entry when Jesus claims to be the king of kings claims to be the king of Israel, Jerusalem. And as they throw this parade, as he enters into the city as the king. Next week, rather than talk about the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, we're going to talk about the triumphal entry to the Gentiles. That's when we talk about how Peter will go through and explain all of this to this group that's just waiting to listen and receive. But I want us to just ponder and think about something very quickly. Last week and this week, we see two different responses to leadings of God. Cornelius was quick and immediate, without hesitation. But Peter, Peter had to be told three times. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is 
in 1 Samuel chapter 3. And, and Samuel's a little lad, little guy. God has something special planned for Samuel. And in a somewhat similar fashion and something that's not necessarily normal to us today, there's this audible calling from God. Samuel's a little guy, young guy, falls asleep and he hears a voice and he thinks it's Eli, the priest, who's, who's kind of raising Samuel. So, so Samuel runs over there to Eli and says, what do you need, what do you need, what do you need? And old man Eli's cranky and doesn't know what he's, he's disheveled and doesn't know what's going on. He tells him to go back to his room and go, go to bed like every good parent does, right? I can picture that in my own kids now. I can almost picture Samuel being that kid that has to get up and go potty or needs the, the water, needs something to drink like three times and then has to go potty three times, right? I can picture that with Eli or with Samuel. But Samuel goes, he, he, he does it, and he, he goes back to, to bed and he hears it again, runs back, and almost that, this reoccurring thing of threes in Scripture. Finally, this, the second time or third time, Eli understands that God's the one that's calling Samuel. And he gives Samuel this, these instructions. He says, listen, Samuel, when you hear that voice, when you hear that voice calling for you, respond with, speak, Lord, for your, your servant hears. And so sure enough, Samuel goes back to bed. The voice returns. And Samuel sits up and says, speak, Lord for your servant heareth. In our own walks, as we pursue God, as we draw close to God, he draws close to us. And as God begins to reveal things to us, and as God gives us vision, what are we going to do with that? Some of us think that, that we're unworthy of it, that we're, that we're not good enough for those things. We're not good enough for those callings. Well, part of this passage should speak to us to remind us that, listen, just like those animals now are no longer clean and unclean, it's all cleaned. We've received the same cleansing through God. As, as the Holy Spirit leads us, and how, how, how will we be in a position of, of being led? I think we see this in Peter at the very beginning of the story, that he's going to a spot where he's, he's going through his regular life in which he's spending time in prayer. I believe this. I believe if we're pursuing God, if, if we're spending regular time reading our Bibles, if we're spending regular time praying with him, if we're seeking God, I know this, that God will begin to give us direction. He'll give us purpose. He'll give us vision. But that vision isn't always what we want, is it? That vision isn't always comfortable. Sometimes that vision stretches us. Sometimes that vision puts us in areas that we think are completely against the grain. Just like what God's calling Peter to do. Peter had lived a lifestyle his whole life. He had abided by this, this dietary principle his entire life. And suddenly God says, no, do the opposite. When those moments arrive, how do we respond to God? In my life, unfortunately, it's been a lot like Peter. No, Lord. Or wait, wait, Lord. Give me a couple more minutes. There's, there's a few other things that I need to accomplish first before I do what you would like. No, 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 Lord, I, I, I can't. I, I'm, I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. I, I can't afford it. What about fill in the blank? That guy, Saul DeVries, that I told you about at the beginning, Saul had this vision of building this great empire, this great product. He thought that would bring enjoyment, completion, contentment. When Saul de Vries died, he died a miserable man. Saul de Vries never 
to the best of our knowledge, came to know the Lord. And as they began to go over his will, they did according to his will, his wishes. And so Saul of Rye was cremated. And then they took his ashes and they poured it down the kitchen sink. How sad of a story is that? And it reminds me of Mark 8, 36. It says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? This book of Acts is amazing on so many fronts. And we see Jesus at the beginning. We see Jesus woven all throughout it. We see amazing things like angels and visions. But the plan, the plan always comes back to us. You notice all throughout this, it wasn't the, the angel didn't tell Cornelius how to be saved, did he? The angel didn't walk him through this whole plan of salvation. The angel doesn't disciple him. It was Peter, another person. God's called us to be the plan. That's the only plan there is. What are we going to do with that plan? What are we going to do with the people that God lays in our heart that we're supposed to go and talk with and share with? What are we going to do with our neighbors, our coworkers, our family? The walls have come down, folks. There's no separation. And we're all going to be faced with that decision. When Jesus says that he is the, in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And we say this every Sunday. There is only one entrance into heaven. That's it. There's only one way. It's not up for debate. We can't create another path. It's it. That's the only way. It's a narrow, narrow road with a small gate. And Jesus has entrusted us with the map. And we have this amazing opportunity to be the tour guide. But if we don't show the other people the map, how do we expect them to find the gate? That's us. It's our job. My job, your job. One of the things I want you guys to do this morning, I would, I would love for you to do, on your seats or, or near your seats, there should be a, maybe a blank piece of paper, a part of a paper, a third or so of a paper. We have a prayer wall over here. Um, we encourage people that if, if, if there's prayers, things in your life, stuff like that, that, that God's, you know, that you just need prayer about, that you, that you stick that on that prayer wall. And I usually go through that once a week, and I'll, I'll look over those requests and pray over them. You're always, it's always available. There's, there's always paper and pens over there. And it's one of those things, if you want me to know specifically who you are, write your name. If you don't, then don't write your name down. But this is what I want you guys to do this week. Right, like, even like right now as we go through our time of invitation and prayer. I want you guys to think of a name. One person. One per, like two weeks from today is Easter Sunday. Most people are receptive to the idea of going to church at least on Easter Sunday. I want you guys to write down one name of somebody you plan on inviting to church. Think about that. Write that name down at the end of the service sometime today and go stick that name in that wall. And then to starting today, I want you to start praying every single day for that person. I mean, every single day, you, throughout the day, you pray for that person, that God begins to prepare their hearts, that, that God gives you the opportunity to have those conversations, that God opens up doors. And as God opens up those doors, that you're faithful, you're strong enough, you're courageous enough to be able to take those steps of action and invite someone to church with you on Easter Sunday. 
And maybe you take it a step further, and not only to church on Easter Sunday, but then you invite that person to go out to lunch with you afterwards or do whatever you do afterwards. But let's be serious about this. Let's start putting names and faces to these passages. Let's find our Cornelius that God's calling us to go talk to. And let's pray about it, but then let's take steps of action like Peter did. Peter prayed about it, but then next morning he got up and he walked and he went. And for some of us, we've been praying about a person for months and maybe years. And it's time for us to not just pray, but to go. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for all the things that you've done for us. God, I thank you for this passage. I thank you how you broke down those walls and you showed Peter that that we're all in desperate need of grace. Lord, I know that there are people in our lives, all of our lives, that that we need to go and to talk with and share with. God, I pray you just give us the strength. Help Help us to see those needs. Lord, I believe this. I believe, I believe you've laid things on people's hearts that are here today. Like you've given them a vision. And there might be some here today that, that, that keep giving you an excuse for why they can't do it. They, they keep borrowing Peter's line. No, Lord. No, Lord. Or, or wait, Lord. Or, or in just a little bit, Lord. God, I pray that you help us to have the same faith that Cornelius had, that when you called, he went, he did, he responded immediately. So Lord, I just pray that you work in our hearts today. In your son's name we pray, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Our goal at Redemption Hill is to see souls saved and lives changed. If the Holy Spirit spoke to you today and you made a decision, Or maybe you have a question or a comment. I would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad, C-H-A-D, at rh-church.com. If you don't have a a regular church home, we would love for you to consider visiting us. You can go to our website, rh-church.com, or find us on Facebook for directions. Until next time.